Pastor Steve mentioned that we're closing out the series Summer in the Psalms. Every week you've been looking at a different psalm, what that psalm reveals and tells us about who God is and how he wants to work in our lives. For me, the brilliance of Psalms is that it gives us a look into the people of God. And a lot of times, the way the people of God wrestle with him, the older I get, life tends to get a little bit more real. So I'm starting to appreciate Psalms a lot more. Can you relate to that? Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Have you felt exhausted frustrated. Maybe you've been trying to follow Jesus, trying to be someone of faith only to come against setback after setback. You know, one of the things that I love about Psalms is that it's honest, but it's also yielding. The authors get out their grievances, but they never abandon their trust in God. I wish I could say the same was always true of me, that I was faithful in every moment And that's the heart of what I want to talk about today. How how do we, how can we cultivate a heart like that? A month ago, I was reading in Psalm 59 and came across something that convicted me deeply. Psalm 59, it says this. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. They scavenge for food and they growl if they are not satisfied. But not me. I will sing of your strength. I will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning because you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. Here, Scripture illuminates to us that there's two different attitudes that we can have that are shown through our behavior. Our lives can can either be growling and unsatisfied, or we can be singing and grateful. We got to travel here all the way from Indiana. We drove, and one of my favorite things about traveling is that it is an excuse for me to go to Cracker Barrel. Well, I love me some Cracker Barrel. You know what we found out this trip? Atlas, my youngest son, he also loves him some Cracker Barrel. I have never seen that man eat so much chicken in my life. He put it down. It's insane. So we're at Cracker Barrel, and we're we're getting out of the car, and we're walking in, and I notice there's an elderly gentleman, and he's got a service dog. But guys, this service dog's not doing what he's telling it to do. It, It really feels like he's almost dragging this dog into the restaurant like, Get over here. This dog's got the the vest on that says, don't pet me, I'm working. This dog's got the leash that says, comfort, support animal. But guys, can we get real honest? This was not a service dog. This dog was not doing what it was supposed to be doing. Have Have you seen an actual service dog? Them things are incredibly well trained. I seen one one time where a guy got up to a counter to pay And he just gave the leash to his dog and the dog just held onto it and he paid and then took the leash back. I'm like, are you? (laughs) My dog would have said, see ya. (laughs) Like, guys, I'm I'm paying at Cracker Barrel. This dog is sniffing all the candy on the bottom aisle. This this dog got his certification from eBay, okay? (laughs) This dude went online and ordered the vest and the leash, but there was, there was nothing about the way this dog was acting that was letting me know that it was a service dog. And sometimes I wonder in our own behavior, in our own actions, what are we telling the world? Are, are we telling the world by the way that we live that Jesus is king 
and Lord of our lives. What is our behavior communicating to God? What's it communicating to the world? Does the way that we live and behave communicate that we trust and love God? See, when I read this verse, there were some difficult questions that I had to ask myself. Is my life growling or singing? And what am I growling about? Where in my life am I not satisfied? And how is that affecting me? Do I, do I go throughout my day barking like a dog, growling because I'm desperate to find satisfaction? Or am I content and thankful regardless of my circumstances because I'm satisfied in Jesus Christ? And if I'm not satisfied in Jesus, what, what does that mean? And can we change that? If you're following along in your sermon outline today, this is where we hit the first point. Your diet will determine your disposition. Your diet will determine your disposition. How many of you have heard of the term hangry? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've heard the term hangry. Raise your hand if you've ever been hangry. Y'all, we still have liars up in this church today. We got people raising people's hands for them. How many of you might be a little bit hangry right now? It's okay. Why why do we get hangry? Did you know that hunger affects the mood centers in the brain that are associated with sadness, tension, anger, and low self-esteem? In fact, there's scientific proof that says that your mind will perceive things more negatively when you're hungry. See, this morning, I want to flip that script on us and and look at that spiritually. I want to ask if the same thing happens in our faith. Do we get hangry for the spirit? And does our spiritual diet or lack thereof determine whether or not our life is growling or singing? There's a story in scripture about a guy named Jairus who his daughter is dying. So he seeks out Jesus and he finds Jesus and says, Jesus, you got to come to the house. My daughter is dying. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go. And on their way there, one of the servants comes and says, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Jesus says, just believe, it'll be all right. And this is is what happens. This is Luke 8. Jesus goes into this, this room where this little girl is, and it says, by taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And then he directed that somebody give her something to eat. After Jesus restores this girl's life, he gives instructions for her to be given food. Because when you wake up from the dead... You hungry. (laughs) Do you know how long you can go without eating before you die? You can go about 8 to 21 days without drinking water before you die. You can go 43 to 70 days without food before you die. For me, it's more like 20. My stomach just starts eating itself. I wonder if these numbers translate spiritually. How many days can you go without God's word before you start to become spiritually malnourished? How many days can you go without prayer before you start to spiritually die? How many days can you go without worshiping before you start to begin to be spiritually lost? And maybe Jesus here is just instructing somebody to make this poor girl a sandwich. But think about it. Jesus is telling us that in order to stay alive spiritually, we too must eat. What does that mean? I want to read to you Ephesians 5, 17 through 20. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what will happen? You'll start singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. You'll make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul here isn't necessarily trying to condemn alcohol. I think he's telling us you ought to consider how you're filling your life. How are you refueling your life? And is it bringing you any lasting satisfaction? See, Paul uses alcohol as an illustration because being drunk changes the way you walk. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you think. See, but so many things on this earth like alcohol that we try to fill that hole that only God can fill, it leaves us wanting more. And when those highs wear off, they leave us growling and grumpy. We're unsatisfied because the circumstances that happiness require are fleeting. And so our attitude and disposition are soured by unmet expectations. See, instead, Paul encourages us to tap into the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's power isn't circumstantial. The Holy Spirit can connect us to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in any situation. But how do we do that? How do we access spiritual fruit? Romans 8, 5 through 8 tells us, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Many of you know, uh, there's a girl that goes to church here sometimes. Her name's Jaina. She may or may not be here. I don't know. She did an internship at my church in Vincennes this summer. And don't tell her this, but she did a really great job. I'll deny that if she asked me. <laughs> on her last Sunday, we co-preached on joy and grief. See, she's a bit of an expert on grief because I was her youth pastor. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought I heard an amen back there. She did an awesome job sharing her testimony. One, one of the things that she shared was the scientific evidence that backs up what the scripture says. Our brains cannot process gratitude and anxiety at the same time. So the more we count our blessings, the more we, we turn our eyes and cling to the promises of God, the more we recount and remember all that God has done, those are the times where anxiety begins to fade in our life. Which makes me think that, that this is less about our consumption, less about our diet, and more about where our focus is. More about spending time in the presence of Jesus Christ. Almost like how vitamin D gets processed in our bodies by being out in the sun. When we sing songs of praise to the Lord, it switches our focus from our problems to the goodness of God. There's a guy named Peter who was a disciple of Christ. And Peter's on a boat with the other disciples and a storm comes and Jesus is just casually walking on the water just trying, just doing Jesus stuff. And the disciples notice him. And Jesus says, fear not, it's I. And I think Peter in his heart of hearts is like, this boat's going down, but Jesus is walking on water. So Jesus, I'd rather be where you are. So would you call me, if it's you, call me out on the water to walk on the water as you are. 
And he does. And Peter gets out and he walks on the water. But what does scripture say? He gets distracted by the wind and the waves. And it's those distractions that take his eyes, take his focus off Christ. And then he begins to sink. Can you relate to that? Going through a season where it feels like you're drowning. A season where you lose sight of Jesus and the wind and the waves. A season where your growling turns to cries of desperation. A season where you want to cry out and say, Jesus, where are you? This is so ridiculous, but I think it's so powerful. Did you know, no matter the circumstances of a squirrel falling, it will always land on its feet. You know how it does it? It blows my mind. So let's imagine that a squirrel gets launched out of a tree. What the squirrel does is it fixates on a point on the ground where it's going. And it leaves its eyes locked on that. So if you, you see the squirrel, its body is flying and spinning and doing flips, but its eyes are remain focused on that spot where it's going to land. And because of that, a squirrel will always land on its feet. Do you guys understand if we could do this as Christians, no matter what's going on in our life, if we could fixate and focus on Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to us, we end up landing on our feet because it is the foundation of God that supports us. But that only happens not because of our circumstances, not because life gets better. It happens because we chose to keep our eyes fixated on Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. So how do we maintain this focus on the goodness of God? This is what we have to do. This is the next piece. Continue to praise God in the valley. Continue to praise God in the valley. Continue to praise God in the storm. Part of faith is deciding that God is worthy of our trust before the storm even comes, during the storm and after the storm. That we, before we even begin to pray, we have to decide whether or not we believe that God is good. Otherwise, we will base God's merit on whether or not he does what we want or what we anticipate which is like deciding that your parents are no good because they didn't buy you that, that scooter that you wanted for your birthday. Still a little bitter. <laughs> see, see, Scripture tells us something that we know well. It rains on everybody, the just and the unjust. This means that we all go through seasons of difficulty. We all face storms of life. But the temptation in our valley is to assume that God is either not there or that he doesn't care. It's hard for us sometimes to know that, that God could stop it all with one word, but he doesn't. And it makes us feel like we've been abandoned by God. See, but unfortunately, there, there is no such promise in Scripture that says you'll never face a storm. And, and I wish I had some brilliant thing to say that would make your, your struggles and your pain seem a little bit less. There's not. But there is a promise that lets us know that we never have to walk through that storm alone. This is where God calls on us to display our faith, to continue to trust him even in the middle of the storm. Have you ever done something or been faced with a decision and, and you made the right choice, you made the moral choice, but then it backfired on you? It's happened to me a couple times. Not as bad as this guy. There's a guy named Jason Stanton. He went to a festival in Florida down in Key West and he was a former coke addict. 
And while he was down there, he ran into one of his former dealers. And the dealer's trying to get this guy, Jason, to buy more Coke. And he's like, dude, I've been sober for a certain amount of time. I'm, I'm done with that. I don't want to live that way anymore. And so the dealer, seeing this as an opportunity, says, man, if I give this guy some Coke for free, maybe he'll, he'll try some and he'll come back and buy more. So he gives him this Coke for free. And Jason's like, I, I got to do the right thing. So what does he do? He, he finds the nearest cop. He walks up to the cop and says, somebody handed me this Coke. And you know what happens to him? He gets arrested. He was trying to do the right thing and he got arrested for it. Sometimes this is exactly how it feels to follow God. Sometimes our, our effort seems to be met with opposition. We pursue God only to run into obstacle after obstacle. Almost as if there's some force that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our faith. There's a woman in the Bible. Her name's Hannah. And she was barren. On top of that, her husband's second wife, she wasn't having any problems having kids. And guess what? She was rubbing it in every chance she got. So this, this woman, Hannah, she's absolutely, she's heartbroken. Year after year, no baby. And she finally cries out to the Lord. And she cries out so desperately that the priest confuses her for being drunk. I want to read to you 1 Samuel 1, 15 through 19. Hannah replied, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here in my great anguish and grief. And then Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went away and she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. And early in the next morning, she arose. Even when God had not fixed her problem, she got up the next morning. And what did she do? She worshiped before the Lord and then went back home. This is utterly ridiculous. But when you leave town, there's some things you got to do. I had to mow the yard. And we had gotten a lot of rain, so it was like, you have like specific windows to try to get in and mow the yard. So I'm out mowing the yard, and it's fairly long. And I noticed something. As I'm mowing, the lane that I'm mowing, there's, there's crickets everywhere. And these crickets that I'm exposing while mowing, mowing are, are jumping into the taller grass to hide. And I probably gave this too much thought, but, but I was thinking, that's not very smart because that's where the lawnmower is going next. And I don't know that I expected them to know this, but, but I'm thinking it would be so much safer staying here in the grass that's already been cut. And I thought to myself, holy cow, we're tempted to do this too. We're tempted to hide rather than be vulnerable because we think it's safer down there. The problem is we cannot see the danger coming. We think it's safer to bottle up all these things inside, but healing cannot come when you're always on the run. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. See, Hannah's story, in my opinion, is powerful because she lays it all out before God. But what about you? What in your life have you not laid out to God? Could it be stress from a looming debt or financial crisis? Could it be a rift within your family? 
Could it be grief of losing a loved one or losing a job? Could it, could it be anxiety from, from what lies ahead in your future? Could it be tension or unresolved conflict in your marriage? Could it just be just this hovering cloud of depression that, that just always seems to be over you? See, God never asks us to mask our stress. He never asks us to, 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 to mask our pain or, or, or just to, to, to give praise and sorrow. He's asking us to lay it all out to him. But then he says, continue to worship me. Keep praising through the storm because you've got to trust that I love you and that I am the one who holds tomorrow in my hands. I am the one who holds your eternity in my hands. See, it's so important for us to grieve, especially in the presence of the Lord and worship. It's in his presence where our heart can be exposed, where our heart can be known. It's in his presence where we can unload our burdens, where our burdens move from our backs to the hands of a God who comforts and heals, to the hands of a God who can actually do something about it. A Savior that reminds us of what is most important, that it is well with our souls. There's a hymn titled that, It Is Well. And maybe some of you here today, you've heard the story behind the hymn, but the story absolutely blows my mind. There's a guy whose name is Horatio, and he is pretty wealthy, but loses everything in the Chicago fire. And then a little bit later, loses his son to scarlet fever. And then his four daughters and his wife are going to travel to London, England, and on the way there, their boat sinks and he loses all four daughters. Only his wife survives. His wife sends a message and say, it's just me. What do you want me to do? So Horatio gets on the next boat and he goes. And the captain knew what had happened to Horatio. So when they got to that place where the boat had drowned, he, he pulls Horatio aside and says, here's where your daughter's drowned. And in that moment, he pins these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because sometimes it's not well with our minds. Sometimes it's not well with our spirits. Sometimes it's not well with our hearts. Sometimes it's not well with our emotions. But because of what Jesus Christ did, it is always and will always be well with my soul. Because this world has nothing for me. Let me give you one more piece. Let your song become your testimony. Let your song become your testimony. In Acts, Paul and Silas are traveling, and preaching, teaching, and they tick off the wrong people. So guess what? They end up in jail. And while in jail, but they're having a good time. They're singing songs. They're singing hymns. They're singing songs like they're not in jail. Acts 16, 25 tells us about midnight. So I'm thinking to myself, not only are they in jail, but they can't sleep because they're uncomfortable. And what are they doing? They're not complaining. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And who was listening? 
The prisoners were listening to them. Because of this, a earthquake, whatever, something happens. All the chains are unloosed. Everybody can escape, but they don't. The guard comes back in and he's going to kill himself because he's like, they're going to kill me anyways because I let all these people go. And Paul and Silas cry out and say, hey, you're good, dude. We're still here. And you know what that prison guard says? Who is this God you're singing about? I want, I want to meet him. In fact, come with me because I want my whole family to meet him. I'll be real honest with you today. I don't know that you would have found me singing in prison unless I was singing something like, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Or nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'd have been frustrated with God. Like, God, really, this is what I get? I'm being punished for doing what you asked me to do? See, but Paul and Silas knew ahead of time that they were going to run into opposition, but they trusted God to see them through. They focused on their faith, and instead of being upset in prison, now this entire family has been brought to Jesus Christ. What better way to fight what you see and feel than to sing about God's love and faithfulness, to sing through your storms, to sing in our prisons because we believe that underneath the circumstances that God is still good. We believe that underneath it all, God still loves us. And because we believe that, God can work through our storms, especially when we have the right attitude and mindset. Do you understand that there are prisoners listening to you? Do you understand that there are guards listening to you? Do you understand that you have a multitude of people who are listening to you? The question is, what song are you singing? And do you understand that your song in the midst of your trial can be a powerful testimony to those around you? This doesn't mean that you wear the task of evangelism through your storms, but it does mean that we can find comfort in our difficulty knowing that we serve a God who can work all things together for good. See, this caused me to ask myself, what, what song of praise am I singing with my life? What songs of, of praise are, are people experiencing for me? And does that song change when things don't work out the way I hoped? That doesn't mean that the songs we sing are always happy and upbeat and excited doesn't mean that we as believers don't go through our own valleys but it means that even though the tempo and the demeanor of the song might change the lyrics never do because we serve a God who is the same yesterday today and will be the same tomorrow I've been in Vincennes Indiana for about Two years now. About a year and a half ago, I started having trouble with my back. I just went outside in the cold, y'all. Getting old stinks. Can't even go outside in the cold. And since then, it's, it's been a, a whirlwind journey. And I just assumed that it was going to get better. And May still. But when you're in that moment of pain and struggle, it seems heavy. 
And I wore that weight. I wore that burden so long. You know, I wasn't so disappointed that I couldn't do the, you know, play basketball and do these things that I used to be able to do. It was breaking my heart because I felt like I couldn't be the dad that I wanted to be. And I just had this incredibly depressed season of hopelessness. And I was reading in Daniel. And I read this verse in Daniel and it, it just punched me in the face. Here is somebody who doesn't know anything about the God of Israel. Is speaking on behalf of Daniel and this is what they say. You ought to seek Daniel's advice because he is a man of extraordinary spirit. Guys, Daniel's life was not fun. It's not easy. He gets stripped from his home. He gets forced to, to live in this culture that he doesn't belong. Forced to try to fight back and forth between not serving the gods of their country. He gets picked on by the people that he works with. They throw him in the den with lions. You know, he, he just season after season, thing after thing. And I just think to myself, what, what would it be that to have this life that is far from perfect, but even though his life was far from perfect, that's how he's described. He is described as a man of extraordinary spirit. You know what I did? I switched the way that I prayed. And I said, God, I don't care if you heal my back, but please help me to be a man of extraordinary spirit. And you know what God's done for me? He hasn't healed my back. It hurts right now. But he's healing my heart. He's changing my perspective. That's what it's about. We don't come here and gather here so that this God who is all-powerful can change our circumstances so that our life can be easier. Now, we have a God that we serve that thought further ahead into the future. And Rachel's going to come and she's going to sing this song called Hungry. And I want you to think about what that means to you as she sings. What, what, am I, what am I hungry for? And I just want to tell you what I've learned is that our hunger for anything other than Jesus Christ will never satisfy. It always leaves us wanting more. I don't know what you're going through. You know, it's so funny to me. Sometimes we, we compare ourselves. I haven't experienced the pain that Pastor Will has, or I haven't experienced the loss that this person has. But do you know that you, you, we serve a God that, that cares regardless of how big what your struggle is? It doesn't matter what it is compared to me. It matters how important it is to you. And if it's important to you, then God cares about that. And God may not heal that situation, but I guarantee you, if you trust in him, if you keep singing to him in the times that are difficult, you'll find something incredible. You'll find a peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll find that you have peace in moments where it doesn't even make sense. I don't know where you are today, but this is an opportunity to respond to God. Don't miss out on that.